Well, folks, as we get started in these uh, next three weeks, I just wanted to give you a little bit of, of an update on uh, Donna and uh, her her trial. Um, we're going to call it that. It's uh, it's interesting how uh, the Lord does these things. But um, about well, back in February, beginning of February, um, I think we mentioned to you we couldn't get the infusion, but we went ahead and got it anyway. I paid for it myself. We got it done. Uh, and and her immune system really responded to that, um, and it was really good. About four weeks later, took a blood test. It was still very good. Uh, and I think it was about two weeks after that, she had another blood test, and it plummeted. Um, that's why this infusion has to happen probably every four, maybe five weeks, uh, and that's to keep the immune system at a rate that you and I have each and every day so that it can ward off the colds, the other things that could possibly come and and attack her. Um, The other hand, the thing that's attacking her on a regular basis is her autoimmune system and the the vasculitis. And there we're trying to get a medicine that will deal with that. The doctor couldn't start to introduce that until he actually had an immune system that would uh, be able to work. So now he's got the immune system. Now we've got to get the medication to to deal with that. So that's what we're working on right now. The doctor has a medication, wants to use it. The insurance company is giving some um, pushback on it because it is expensive. And uh, once again, we'll pay for it. doesn't matter, but he wants to make sure that they're paying for it. So he's going to be having uh, some meetings with uh, doctors from the Blue Shield or whatever it is that um, uh, can get that done. So that's where we're at. Continue to pray for that. Um, we wanted to be at church on Sunday. We truly, truly did want to be worshiping, uh, especially on Resurrection Sunday. But today is Easter Monday. In the business that I've come out of, uh, out of the textile business, uh, they used to declare Monday, Easter Monday, so they could get another day off. It was uh, quite interesting. I didn't understand it, but that's what they did. But anyway, here we are. Let me pray, and then we can get started. Father, thank you for today. Lord, thank you for these folks. Uh, Lord, their patience. Um, Lord, their their stamina, their their willingness, Lord, to even sit under uh, this um, um filming of a message rather than actual message by someone. Lord God, I uh, pray for this time. Uh, This message here is an an especially important one that we would listen to. And I pray, Lord God, that uh, my heart listens to it as well. We pray this in your name. Amen. Folks, we're in the the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, I've been taking this uh, trip through the Sermon on the Mount. I something I probably should have taught earlier on in my ministry, but now that I've reached there, uh, I, I love the Sermon on the Mount. I love the preaching of Jesus Christ himself. And uh, as we go down through the various Beatitudes, and that's where we still are, is the Beatitudes of chapter 5, and you can make your way there. Uh, the Beatitude that we're on is in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, and it says this, Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And of course, as always, I sit back and I think, uh, wow, this, is, this beatitude is, is almost an impossibility. How could anybody do that? Blessed be the pure in heart. How can anybody have that pure a heart in order to be able to see God? How can sinners be pure in heart, and and how can sinners see God this side of heaven? This particular beatitude has a resemblance to that which is in uh, Matthew 5, 6, where you're hungry and thirsting for righteousness, something that you want, you keep looking for. The intention, okay, with Jesus saying this, the intention for you and me is that we would develop a heart for God. Uh, when you become a Christian, your your heart is given to him, but there's still a lot of construction work to be done on there. First of all, he's got to deconstruct some things and then begin to put some things together. He wants to develop a heart. You you need to develop a heart for God and for the things of God. Uh, there is to be a longing to live the life that God requires. That That's our desires. Our heart's desire is to, is to long to live for him. 
Um, there is a longing to be pure in heart. And I, I love that word heart. It's like a desiring, a wanting. That word heart, cardia, is used a thousand times in the scriptures. I, it's over and over and over again because we're dealing with our heart. There's a conundrum here, though. First, who on this earth could possibly be pure in heart? Some of you may say, but I'm not that bad. I'm not that that bad. Well, if you remember the verses that we looked at before, blessed are the poor in spirit, that they realize that you're spiritually bankrupt. Yeah, you, you, you can see that you have some corruption there. There's corruption in all of us. It essentially means a, a cleaning of the mind and, and a corruptions of the world. That's what God is wanting us to get rid of is the corruptions of the world. Jesus is speaking to this issue. He knows the filth and corruption that's there that has to come out. But I'm not too bad. Yeah, I, I even thought of this in terms of my own grandchildren. I saw them, my grandchildren, how could that be? So that they would need to be um, cleansing themselves of any impurity in their heart. They're still young. No, they still have a corrupt heart. Please, don't tell their grandmother. Don't tell their grandmother. Yes, even those little hearts, they want things and they're not getting them, so they do something to get them and maybe they're doing the wrong thing to get them and and hurting people in the meantime. They do the things that God doesn't want them to do or mommy wants them to do. And that happens over and over and over again, and that's just in one day. The pure in heart goes beyond the regular lusts of the heart. We're not just talking about the lusts of this world. The pure in heart means to never, ever have ulterior motives. The pure in heart means to never, ever have selfish thoughts. The pure in heart means to never, ever have selfish deeds, doing something to get something. No, can anyone ever declare never ever? In other words, there is a single-minded devotion to the things of God. And, and, and folks, we, we don't want you to run up to the mountains, you know, and become a hermit or something in order to be able to do this because just doing that is a selfish thought because then you're not a light in this world. You're not giving out the gospel to do those kinds of things. But the question is, the single-minded devotion to the things of God. The question I ask is, how are you doing there? How are you doing in that area, that single-minded devotion to God? When Matthew ends his gospel in this chapter here, in Matthew 5, 48, he says, therefore, you are to be, yep, he says it, perfect. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's the standard, folks. That's the pure in heart. It's all the way up to the top. It's not in between. We're trying, but that's what we want. But he's calling us to that. The purity of heart is to be at the very top. When we look at these scriptures, and, and as we study these scriptures, and we look at the heart of man. We look at the anthropology and, and, and what makes up a man. It's a pretty nasty picture of the heart. I'm just going to give you a few verses just so that you know where I'm coming from. But Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Well, that must be those people over there in the Middle East. No, it, it's, it's not that. It's not just those people. But it's all people Jesus himself said it in Mark chapter 7. If you want to turn there, you can turn there. But in Mark chapter 7, he gives a description of the heart of man. And he starts in verse 14 in Mark 7. He says this, after he called the crowd to him again, uh, he began saying to them, listen to me, okay? All of you and understand, there is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him, but things which proceed out of the man are that which defile the man. So it's what comes out of him. When he had left the crowd and entered the house, the disciples questioned him about the parable. What are you trying to say here, Jesus? 
And he said to them, are you so lacking in understanding? Here they are. They're his disciples. They're walking with him. They heard the Sermon on the Mount previously. Are you lacking in understanding? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated? And he was saying, That which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, the fornications, lusts, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and uh, wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these things proceed from within and defile the man. Now, Jesus may not have mentioned every single sin there, but certainly the categories of sin. And that they come out of man. They come out of that desire of the heart. Not because of something that went in. James chapter 4. 4 happens to call sinners to cleanse your hands. James 4, 8. If you want to look it up, you can just jot it down. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. In other words, get that double-minded thinking out of there. It should be one way. And that is God's way. You should only be thinking on one and only God, not on the other things that can give you some kind of earthly satisfaction, but not spiritual satisfaction. My favorite verse in all of this, and and I love Solomon and his wisdom, and he's uh, all the way back in Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 9, verse 3. And he says this, this is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that there is one fate for all men. And what he means by that is the fate for all men is death. Okay, we're all going to die. And he says this, furthermore, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil and insanity is in their hearts throughout their lives. That, that's kind of a picturesque thing if you think of what insanity is a picture of. My word, this is incredible. That's the heart of man. The point that Jesus is making here in the Sermon on the Mount Blessed are those who are pure in heart, those who are going in that direction. Blessed are those who are not double-minded. Blessed are those who think God's thoughts. Blessed are those who are wholeheartedly for God and the things of God. Beloved, the condition of the heart is what Jesus is focusing on. This can bring us to some heart-stopping moments, can't it? We have to start thinking about where is my heart on this. And and that's even for things that we're thinking on and maybe not even things that we're doing. That these are not right with God and we know that they're not right with God and we need to get them right with God. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, I I love this man's thinking. He's a doctor, came out of being a doctor and started preaching. And he said this, he said, we have to remind ourselves again that the Christian faith is ultimately not only a matter of doctrine or understanding. Please understand that. I know that we're in a very doctrinal church, a very theologically minded church. But he said this, we have to remind ourselves again that the Christian faith is ultimately not only a matter of doctrine or understanding, and it's very important, or intellect. It's a condition of the heart. He he brings that to light here. It's a condition of the heart. This then brings it down to the individual. It's not just what you believe. It's not even just what you practice, but it's what you do. It's what's, what's coming out of you all the time. Therefore, God is looking for hearts, and that's what's going on here. He's looking for hearts that not only desire him and his ways, but actually do something about it. Talking to a man recently, he tells me he's a Christian. And he's doing this and doing that. Well, wait a minute, that doesn't line up with Christianity. And then swear words are coming out of his mouth. But that doesn't line up with Christianity. I, I, don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. God wants followers that are in the process of sanctification, that are growing in sanctification, that progressive sanctification that we talk about so often in biblical counseling. Romans 8.29, which you all know, the 8.28, God causes all things to be good. Yes, he does. 
This is the reason for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed into the image of his son. He's wanting us to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, who was holy and perfect. That's what he's trying to do. But at the same time that we see this in verse in chapter 8 of Romans, we see this, therefore, in Romans 8, 1, okay, go all the way back to the beginning of the chapter. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. But those are the people that are going and working on and seeing that they remain pure in heart in their thinking and in their actions. Being in Christ Jesus makes us completely holy because God is completely holy. And God is the Almighty. Folks, what I am trying to tell you here is that God is not looking for pharisaical purity of heart. He's not wanting you to run around like a bunch of Pharisees and, you know, you don't lift your head up because you may look on a woman or, or that kind of thing. And uh, no, he, he's talking about actually doing it, not just saying it, not just saying it for everybody else, but doing it for yourself. God does not want you to just make sure it looks good on the outside. And I think so often that's what happens is people wanting to to look good on the outside. If I may say it this way, their light shine on Sunday morning at Grace Community Church. Do they shine other places at other times? No, there is to be a total cleansing of the inner man, a a total cleansing of the inner proclivities of life. And and yeah, there may be some really ugly things, but there are still some things in between that we can still be working on. And as we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, those things should be dealt with. Those pure of heart are without hypocrisy. Those pure of heart are without guile. These are the sincere individuals looking forward to the kingdom of God. They're looking for his eminent return. He's, there's an eager looking for that. Please come back soon, Lord Jesus. I enjoy what uh, some psychologies uh, say in, in trying to reform the person. Change his environment, he will get better. I don't think so. I, I, I'm sorry, I, I don't think so. Even if you change their environment, they're not going to get better. They're going to still be that same person in their heart. And so they're not going to get any better. You you think about it this way, beloved. Remember Adam and Eve? Pre-fall days. They were in a perfect environment. Perfect environment, yet they still fell. It had nothing to do with their environment. It had to do with their heart. But Jesus, like most preachers, okay... And he's preaching through this the Sermon on the Mount, and, and he's going to take his people back to a previous message in Psalm 40, no, Psalm 24, okay, Psalm 24, okay, um, where he is going to lift some things out of there and show us what he's talking about. And this is where uh, he's going to bring this to the present. Psalm 24, not 48. Psalm 24. Let's start in verse 3. Uh, I want to make sure I don't use up all my time today. But Psalm 24, verse 3, it says, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? And who may stand in this holy place? Good, good questions. Who's going to stand with the Lord? Verse 4. Who has, a, who has clean hands and a pure heart? That's where Jesus is taking this from. Who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood? All of us have done that in one way or another. And has not sworn deceitfully. He shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. The one who is pure in heart receives that blessing, folks. That's what Jesus is calling upon. Clean your hands and have that pure heart. Who has lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully? This is the person who has no reward with seeing God. But those who give up, okay, those things, falsehoods. Look at Psalm 73. You know what? You don't need to turn there. Psalm 73, verse 1. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. That's who he's going to be good to. 
If you are God's, he wants all of you. Not just some of you, not just some of the week, not just one day of the week, but he wants you all of you. Not just Sunday Christians. It is not about your profession, folks. It's about your confession of your heart. Is it fully to God? That's what he wants. This purity of heart is an indication of your election. It's an indication of your salvation. How do I say? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, which I think you're going to hear later today from Pastor MacArthur. It says this, Just as he, that is God, chose us in him before the foundation of the world. For some reason, eternity past God, the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit chose us, those who know him and love him, that what are we supposed to do? This is where it tells us that we, okay, that we would be holy and blameless before him. That's what he wants, is for us to be holy and blameless before him. That's the direction that we need to be going in. God chose us in election and did so that you would be pure and holy of heart. Yes, God did the choosing, but God also at the same time does the demanding. Demanding for holiness, demanding for purity. What is the outcome? You, you may ask, what is the outcome? What do I get for all of this? For the outcome, we can see there that the pure, what the pure in heart get, they shall see God. Hmm. Matthew 5, 8 says this, they will see God. They will be able to behold the beauty of the king of heaven, but they will not be in heaven yet. So what can this mean? What are the implications? If you go back to Exodus 33, okay, it uh, tells us there um, that in Exodus 33, verse 19, let's look at that. If you don't mind, let's take a little bit of a look there. Exodus 33, 19. And it says there, and he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will graciously be gracious to him. Uh, I will be gracious and I will show compassion on him. I will show compassion. But he said, okay, here in verse 20, you cannot see my face. God's telling him, you can't see my face for no man can see me and live. So, Wait a minute, if Matthew chapter 5, verse 8 is saying that we'll be able to behold his beauty, that we'll be able to see his face, and here you cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live, then the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and you shall stand there on the rock. And this is going back to where Moses is experiencing God, and look at what he gets to see. And it will come about while my glory is passing by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I pass by. You're going to get to see him just a little bit going to see him just a little bit. Then I will take my hand away and you will see my back. My face, okay, shall not be seen. He's going to get to see a picture of his glory. He's going to be able to experience God in his glory. There's going to be a partial vision of God here. Those who are pure in heart see God partially even now, because they recognize the hand of God on their life, they begin to see God working here and working there. And, and, and they see it through providence. And we've talked about providence in the past. But you see the providence of God in your life. And you go, oh, he's working here in my life. And he's doing this, doing that. This means that the more that you keep your mind unadulterated, the more that you keep it from pollution, the pollution of this world, that you begin to reflect more and more on the splendor of his majesty, more and more on his glory. It's a tall order, friends, I know. It's a tall order. But it can be done. It can be done. God never tells you to do something that, that you cannot, um, with the right preparation, achieve. And so people say, well, then, Pastor, how do I do that? How does that happen? Well, first of all, Uh, What I like to 
have people do is to get a bigger picture of God. Study the attributes of God. A.W. Pink's got a great book on the attributes of God, the the sovereignty of God. You've got uh, Stephen Charnock, if you want to go a little bit deeper, and he's got about the attributes of God. But get to know God. Get to read about God and see a big God. Journal your findings if you go through the Psalms or or through the Scriptures and, and see what God has done. Rejoice in the God you love. Worship Him in response to all that He has done. That's the way you get to have a bigger picture, a more righteous picture of God. The more that your heart is settled and focused on God, the more that your heart is absorbed with his beauty. So you get settled and focused on him, the more that you will be absorbing his beauty. The more that your heart is singly concentrated on his being, you will see him. That's what's needed. If I may say this, as your devotion is more on the Word than the world, the more you will see Him. More on the Word than on the world. You know, as Christians, we so often get hung up on all of the news that keeps coming out. CNN, ABC, NBC, Fox, it doesn't matter. You keep hearing this stuff over and over and over again. And we get polluted with all these things. Why don't we get the news out of the Word of God? And see what God is doing. And see how he's progressing towards the end. Jesus declares, and what I mean by the end is the eschatological end. Jesus declares in John 15, 3, You are already clean because the word which I have spoken to you. The more that you're in the word, the more you're going to be sanctified. And, and of course, we have also the, the scripture that we see in John 17, 17. Sanctify them or make them pure, because that's what sanctify means. Make them pure in the truth. Your word is truth. The more that I understand it, the more that I read it, the more that I study it, the more that I memor- memorize it, the more that I meditate it on it, the more that it gives me life-giving hope in Jesus Christ the more that I get to see his hand working. Psalm 119, verse 140 says this, Your word is very pure, therefore your servant loves it. Your word is very pure, therefore your servant loves it. Um, coming into the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, For this is the will of God. And, I, and as a pastor, I get asked very often, Pastor, is this the will of God? What, where should I move? Who should I marry? All of those kinds of things, those kinds of questions. Do I marry this person? Uh, do I buy this car? Do I buy this house? Uh, do I take this job? All of those kinds of things. But First Thessalonians 4.3, really concerned about the will of God, it says this, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. It's about your holiness. It's about your holiness. God has a great desire for you. He doesn't care what house you buy. He doesn't care what car you buy. He doesn't care where you live. He doesn't care what job you have. All of that is insignificant. What's important to him is your holiness. That's his great desire. You want to have a pure heart? You want to have it uh, without doubt? Let's, let's go to the scriptures and see where we even start. Why don't you turn with me to Psalm 51? Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is the confession, okay, of David after his sin with Bathsheba. And I think there is, is where you see a, a man who has come to the end of himself, he starts off in verse 1, and he says, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. And God is going to be gracious to him, and God has been very gracious to him. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Take care of them, Lord. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Cleanse it. Take care of it. Put me through the purifier. I have air purifiers now. This is is body purifiers, mind purifiers. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. How does he know them? Because they're dominating his mind. 
they're in there. I can't tell you how often I'm asked, I, I did a sin in the past. What do I do with it, Pastor? It's still there. It's dominating my mind. How do I get relief from it? And here's where you go. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. That which dominates him. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. That's who we sin against first and foremost, folks. Yes, we may hurt another person, we may sin against them, but it is he that you're sinning against. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden person you will take, you will make me know wisdom. He wants to have the innards of himself checked out and cleansed. Verse 7, purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. He's looking for that true cleansing that only God can give us, folks. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Notice what happens as a result of the confession of that sin. Forgiveness begins to set in things begin to be changed because now we get to see God in a more clear picture. We begin to see life in a more clear way. Folks, the realization in your heart that you are in the constant presence of God, constant presence of the Lord, is necessary. He never misses anything, not even the thoughts that are in your mind or the words that you may want to say, but he's there. The realization that you are in constant fellowship with the Creator God is truly enough to keep your hearts pure before Him. That that should be enough to do that. It should also help to keep our, our heart glad because we're in the presence of God. The pure heart is now to endeavor to be at peace. Look at with me back at uh, our Beatitudes there. We're going to go right into the next Beatitude. We're not going to pause and wait a week, but blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. You see, folks, the natural result of that pure heart is to be a peacemaker. Peacemaker between different people, peacemaker between you and everybody else, whatever it is. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be pure in heart. Romans twelve eighteen it says, so far as depends upon you, be at peace with all men. That, that means everybody, folks, not just your Christian brother and sister, but all people. A young lady had some very serious issues with parents, parents who had abandoned her, parents who had hurt her. And I said, you know, why don't we do this? Why don't you send them a letter to try to broach the relationship with them? Because it was, I think it was a 20-year separation of relationship. Why don't you find out what's going on in their life and bring them the gospel because that's a gospel opportunity. What God did was incredible. What God did was incredible. Friends, I'm something of a, a junior historian. I love to read history. love to read all sorts of things, not just World War One, Two, and Three, and all of those kinds of things. But if you go all the way back to the beginning, we have never seen peace. We've never been at peace. It started in the, in the Garden of Eden, okay? Uh, Adam and Eve sin. They get kicked out of the garden. They have two sons, Cain and Abel, and uh, Cain turns on his brother, his own brother, and kills him. It hasn't stopped. It's still going on. Friends, within the Christian community, we have brothers and sisters. Yeah, brothers and sisters biting against one another. And we look at Galatians 5.15. Paul is pretty clear here, folks. And so if you want to turn there, you can. It says, but if you bite and devour one another. But if you bite and devour one another... Paul uses such graphic 
uh, words here, Greek words, that it's about biting and chewing on somebody else's fingers and hand and all of that kind of stuff. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. What a picture. He's speaking to believers. Actually, this happens. Yeah, this happens. Just read some Christian blogs where they start attacking one another and going after one another. Really? Yeah. The gospel that Jesus promotes and the gospel that we still preach today happen at the most cruel man-hating event. And that's the crucifixion of Jesus. We looked at that in the last few weeks here. The most bloody event has been brought peace to us. Uh, The most bloody of people. And so, folks, it has brought peace because God, between God and the believer. And we see that in Colossians 1.20. It's amazing that God would still continue to work with us, even though we are the bloody ones. And it says in Colossians 1.20, he says, And through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of the cross, through him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. He made peace. Peace between us and God. We were enemies of God and he brought peace to us. And now we, the believers, are supposed to bring peace to this world. Turn with me to James chapter 3. Great picture that James builds for us here in regards to this idea of of peace and what happens and where it comes from and and where the those who are not at peace come from. James chapter three, starting in verse thirteen, James says this for who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds and gentleness and wisdom. He's putting out the challenge there. Verse 14, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. Where does this bitter jealousy and selfish ambition come from? It's in the heart. It's there. It's something that's demonic even. Verse 15, this wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. It's what the earth has produced. I want, I want, and I want it now kind of thinking. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. Wherever this goes on, and it goes on everywhere. And folks, it even goes on within the church, as Paul was saying in Galatians 5, that if you're biting and devouring one another, How are we different than the world if we're doing that? Well, we're just like the world. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom from above, the wisdom that comes from God from above, is first pure, then peaceable. Okay? pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The idea is that we would be peacemakers. But look at what happens. James enters into chapter 4 and he starts off, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Oh, it must be something else. No. Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members. You want something, you want it now, you're not getting it, so you're unhappy. And so you groan, you steal, you whatever it is, you lie, you get whatever it is to get it. Please note here, but the wisdom from above is first pure and peaceable. So the pure in heart, okay, verse 8 of Matthew okay, can then be peacemakers because they have a heart that is right with God. Folks, we need some peacemakers in this world. We need people that that set husbands and wives at peace, uh, that set families at peace, 
Okay? This is, this, that's where we're at. We need to have those kinds of people. Forget about trying to put countries together. Just let's put some families together. Blessed are the peacemakers. The Prince of Peace, our Savior, has given us the tools necessary to be at peace with one another. And we need to start using those kinds of tools. The Prince calls us to peace. He tells us that we are to be ambassadors, that we need to be in the midst of strife and, and difficulty. We need to have reconciliation. Second Corinthians chapter 5 Verse 20, he says, Therefore, we are ambassadors. Is that anybody who's a believer for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So we're to be reconciled to God. And then we are to be ambassadors of peace for him. Ambassadors of reconciliation. As ambassadors of him, we are to bring peace especially, folks, especially in the household of God. You say, but this is Grace Community Church. We don't have any of those kinds of things. Of course we do. We have humans here. We have men here. We have women here. We have children here. Years and years and years ago, I sat down with three generations of a family who had had war going on in that family for those, oh my, 10, 15 years. It was just going on and on and on, not even talking to one another. Five hours of sitting in a room trying to bring peace and find out what the root cause of all of that was. Guess where it was? It's in the heart, folks. It's in the heart. As ambassadors for him, it says in Romans twelve eighteen, so far as depends upon you, be at peace with all men. This call here, in this scripture, to be a peacemaker is not something that is passive, folks. It's not that, oh, okay, I'm, I'm at peace with everybody. No, it's something that we have to work at. It's something that we have to study. It's something that we have to see happening, but you have to work at it. Husband and wife have words. He goes off to work. What should he do? What should he do? Come home and ignore everything and just go on about his business, you know, go change and go out to the garage and do some work in the, in the shop, go out to the garden and do some things. No, 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 no. That should not be ignored. It doesn't matter whether he did it or she did it or who perpetrated the particular situ situation. It should not be ignored. He should go and take care of it as quickly as possible. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. You nurture them. You cherish them. You are to be a peacemaker with them. And that's, that's just at that level of husband, wife. And I, I know we have some singles in here, but you also have some of those issues, maybe with parents or maybe children or stepchildren or whatever it is. There's so many places where it's not at peace. It's not just the absence of conflict, folks, but there needs to be a presence of peace there as well. There is a call to wellness within the family. There is a call to wellness within the home. And it includes with children, co-workers, roommates, whatever it may be. The peacemaker needs to be honest with himself, herself, and their responsibility to the situation. Look across the page in Matthew chapter 5. It should be across the page. For some of you, it may be the next page. But Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. These are the words of Jesus. This is not Bill Shannon. This is not Grace Community Church. This is what Jesus said. He says, therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, in other words, you're, you're going to be sacrificing, you're going to be worshiping, okay? And there remember that your brother has something against you. Yeah. Leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Years ago, there was a situation, and I hate to bring myself up as an example, but I happen to know this one. And uh, I was told an elder said something about me in an elders meeting that I didn't attend. And it wasn't, didn't sound like it was a very nice thing. So I called that elder up and I said, can we go to lunch? And we went to lunch and then I asked him about it. And he says, yeah, I said that, but this is all that I said. And when you put it in the context of what he said, it wasn't a bad thing. 
Well, guess what? That, that brother and I have no problem. Had I left that alone, I don't know what my heart would have done with it. Maybe I could let love cover a multitude of sins. Maybe, but maybe not. And maybe I'd have resentment towards him. I don't want that. If I'm going to serve on the same board with him, I want to make sure that we're going to be able to walk together and and we're going to be able to, to vote on things honestly, not just because he brought it up, I'm going to vote against it. Folks, I used D. Martin Lloyd-Jones before, and you'll probably hear him a few more times. So what does this peacekeeping work that I mentioned? D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. He said, to be a peacemaker obviously means that one must have an entirely new view of self. Hmm. Before one can be a peacemaker, one really must be entirely delivered from self, from self-interest, from self-concern. Before you can be a peacemaker, you really must be entirely forgetful of self. Because as long as you are thinking about yourself and shielding yourself, you cannot be doing the work properly. To be a peacemaker, you must be, as it were, absolutely neutral so that you can bring the two sides together. You must not be sensitive. You must not be touchy. You must not be defensive. I can tell you how difficult that is in a peacekeeping kind of situation. But you've got to keep self out of it as much as you can. Beloved, if we move out of the confines of your home and into the body of Christ, here is where it's even more delicate. Why? Because there are so many more differences of opinion, differences of emotion, differences of background that go on. This makes it even more difficult, and if not impossible. Notice what's happened even recently. Something comes into this world, and, and all of a sudden we get hit by this thing, and we're going, what in the world? And we have differences of opinion. Some of those things are not even biblical. And they're dividing the church, the, the church, the body of Christ. You say, but some of it may not be the body of Christ. Oh, that's true. I understand that. Some of the body of Christ is even di- is divided. Ephesians 4.3 says this, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We are to be diligent. That means to make haste, okay? To preserve the unity in the Spirit in the bond of peace. We want to make sure that that happens. Romans 14, 19. So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. That's what we should be doing, not tearing one another down. What is the benefit of this peacekeeping attitude, this peacekeeping desire? For they shall be called the sons of God. That's what Jesus says here. For they shall be called the sons of God. This is an affirmation, folks. This is an affirmation of a divine relationship. A divine relationship with your heavenly Father. That you will be called sons of God. God is the one who calls them out as sons. According to the Greek grammar here, Jesus, okay, God, calls peacemakers his children. There are, however, those who seem to think it is their calling to create division in the body of Christ. They, they love the, the rumor. They love to slander. They love to carry on and talk about other people. Years ago, I was walking with pastor, and, and I said, why does that person seem to want to attack you? He says, they just want to climb on your th- shoulders. They, they want to get noticed by other people, see if they make enough noise. Maybe somebody will look at them. Maybe somebody will recognize them. Guess what? It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. If God sees that, he doesn't see you as a son of the Almighty. He sees you as a noisemaker. He sees you as a troublemaker. There are, however, those who that seem to want to just create that division. Rumor, slander, and other things. They love to criticize leadership. They love to find fault with decisions and, and then are unwilling to listen to reason. It's happened. 
I've had it happen here. I've, I've seen it with friends who have gone out for other churches. I've had, we've had other churches that would call here and ask us to help them put their situation back together. Um, there used to be an organization called the IFCA. Okay, now I'm not saying this is what this is, but I like to take that title IFCA and claim it for this. These are the I fight Christians anywhere kind of Christians. They just like to fight in the body of Christ. By the way, the IFCA is not the I fight Christians anywhere, but that's what it seems like. There are just Christians who just want to do that, or at least Christians in name. I, I like to make this kind of declaration. Have peace with people and war with sin. Why don't you war with sin and have peace with people? Today we've looked at uh, two of the most practical And yes, achievable Beatitudes, because that pure in heart can be achieved. Remember, 1 Corinthians 10.13, no temptation has overtaken you, such as is common to man, but God is faithful to make a way of escape. Whoa. No temptation. It's common. Everybody has it. But God is faithful in giving you a way of escape so that you don't have to continue in it. One last thought. There is a war, and I agree to that. There is a war. There's a war between the spirit and the flesh, and it goes on constantly. Galatians 5.17, good verse. I, um, I just recommend that you memorize it. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For they, these are in opposition, okay, to one another, so that, or in order that, you may not do the things that you please. Even when you want to be that kind of peacemaker, the flesh, the spirit are battling against one another. In order that the flesh doesn't want you to achieve it, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, wants you to get there. Remember that battle, that you're God's ambassador for peace. And so, all of this leads to a heart that can only be God's kind of heart. And then you'll be recognized as those who are sons of God and those who will see God. May that be for all of us as we walk this earth, being sanctified each and every day, not only by the messages on Sunday, but the actions on Monday. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for today. I thank you for these folks that I know their desires, Lord. I pray that you would give them the grace to be able to fill the desires that are in accordance with our Heavenly Father. I pray, Lord God, that they would grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. I pray that you would help them to be pure at heart, uh, that their life would be going in that direction, the hungering and thirsting, in order to uh, be at peace with you, Lord God, and peace with others. Dear Father, thank you for this um, passage that we could see your heart in desiring for us to be ambassadors for you. We pray this in your name. Amen.